Michelle Pell. My name is Emma Ives, and I'm the creator slash host of this fabulous podcast. I created this podcast since I love all things medicine. I love reading about it. I love talking about it. And because of coronavirus, my family is sick and tired of hearing about it. I'm not a medical professional, so I'll never give you advice on the medical stuff. Please seek out your physician for advice. I'll link all of my sources in the description as well as mention them throughout the podcast. episode was about three weeks ago and a lot has happened in that time. I would like to apologize for not putting out an episode last week. I was on my study abroad to the UK and France when my trip was suspended due to coronavirus. I was stuck in the UK until Sunday. Not mad. There are worse places to be stuck. My university did what they could to make up for the programming that would have happened in France. Still a little bummed I didn't see Marie Curie or Louis Pasteur's laboratory. Anyway, We saw Alexander Fleming's laboratory. You remember him from my penicillin episode. We visited the Royal Society in London and Westminster and an old operating theater in Stonehenge, which I don't really know why that how that applied to my trip, but it was cool. However, this wasn't a vacation. It was a class after all. My final project was about Jon Snow. He determined the cause of a cholera outbreak in Soho during the third cholera pandemic. I got to visit the famous Soho water pump. Which, by the way, there is a pub called the Jon Snow by the water pump. However, Jon Snow was an active member of the temperance movement, so that's a little ironic. I also visited his old private practice, which is now an apartment building. I then had to fly back to school and pack up all my stuff, as Ohio State is moving the rest of the semester online to help reduce the spread of coronavirus and flatten the curve. I'm sure a lot of you out there are dealing with the effects of a pandemic. I'm currently in day five or six of self-quarantine. As I was in the UK, and as of Monday, it is now on the list of banned countries. I hope you're all doing your part to reduce the spread. Wash your hands. Practice social distancing. Don't hoard toilet paper, because why, of all things? Let's flatten the curve and protect those who are immunocompromised. During this time, I'm going to write and record podcasts. I have a lot of ideas that I hope you guys are going to enjoy. I decided to take a small break from coronavirus and pandemics. I'll be talking about something not entirely related, but still, you know, medical. We'll be getting back to the anatomy of pandemic later. Today, we're going to be celebrating Women's History Month here on Chill Pill. Women's History Month is a great way to honor the women who contributed to the field of science. I'm going to be sharing some women in STEM who inspired me when I was growing up or who I'd wish I'd known about when I was little. I'm so glad more and more of these women's stories are coming out because when I was little all the scientists they weren't real they were on tv it's not a bad thing because Dr. Crusher, Jedzia Dax, and Dr. Ellie Arroway were great role models but I distinctly remember when women scientists became real and that was the coolest thing ever it's a toss-up as to who the first woman in science but we're gonna go with Sally Ride in 1983 she became the first American woman in space We did a project in grade school where we were given a famous person and had to dress up as them to give a presentation. And yeah, I had Sally Ride. She's super cool. She double majored in physics and math and went on to get a doctorate degree in physics in 1978. In June of 1983, she spent six days in space aboard the Challenger as a mission specialist. Before she went to space, she was asked many questions by the press, including what kind of makeup she would wear in space, or if she was afraid space travel would affect her ability to reproduce. And she handled many of those very sexist questions with grace. During the mission, she deployed satellites and worked the mechanical arm. She went to space again in 1984 and was scheduled to make a third mission, 
before it was canceled due to the tragic Challenger explosion. She was even part of the commission to investigate the tragic accident. After NASA, she became the director of the Space Institute at the University of California, San Diego. In 2001, she started a program called Sally Ride Science, which helps girls and young women get excited about math and science. She died in 2012. The next woman scientist that inspires me is Mary Curie. I know that it's a cliche, but she did some very cool things. And I'm still pretty bummed that I didn't get to see her when I was in France. Anyway, she was born in Poland, moved to Paris to pursue science. She studied physics and math, like Sally Ride. She won the Nobel Prize in Physics for her research with her husband on the spontaneous nature of radiation. She also won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry for her work on radioactivity. She was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in Physics and Chemistry and is the only person to have won two Nobel Prizes. Her research with her husband Pierre led to the discovery of two elements, polonium, named after her native country of Poland, and radium. Both of these elements are radioactive. Her research on radioactivity is thought to contributed to her death in 1934. Many of her journals and research items are still radioactive to this day. Her and her husband were interred in the Pantheon in Paris in 1995, home to many French heroes. Her research paved the way for many women scientists. She became the first female professor at Sorbonne and was the director of the Curie Laboratory in the Radium Institute at the University of Paris. Her daughter, Irene, followed in her footsteps and won a Nobel Prize in chemistry for her work on artificial radioactivity. Marie Curie also paved the way for medical research. Her work with x-rays allows for the creation of mobile x-ray machines that were used during World War I. So, I got to learn about the next scientist while my trip to the UK. Rosalind Franklin was an x-ray crystallographer and a chemist. She received her PhD from the University of Cambridge, which I got to visit on my trip, and it was super cool and super pretty, and I highly recommend a day trip to Cambridge whenever you're in the UK next. She used X-ray diffraction to determine structures of biological compounds. She determined that DNA has two forms, a dry A form and a wet B form. Photograph 51, a B form of DNA, became the basis of the evidence for the helical structure of DNA. According to some sources, this was the photo that was disclosed without her knowledge to James Watson and Francis Crick. They were also working on the structure at Cambridge. In their article in Nature in 1953, Rosalind Franklin and Maurice Wilkins, who also worked in the lab, were included in a footnote stating that Watson and Crick were inspired by their general knowledge. Both Wilkins and Franklin had articles published in the same time, but they seemed to just support Watson and Crick. Supposedly, she did not know these men based their article on her research, but she did not complain. I feel like she's mostly known for how she got no credit for the discovery of the structure of DNA, but she did a lot more with x-ray crystallography. She relocated from Cambridge to Burbeck, where she worked on tobacco mosaic virus and other RNA viruses. She wanted to research polio and secured a grant to do so, but had to stop due to her cancer diagnosis. She died in 1958. Watson, Crick, and Wilkins received the Nobel Prize for the structure of DNA in 1962. Unfortunately, Nobel Prizes are not awarded posthumously, nor are they split more than three ways. Katherine Johnson recently passed away in February of this year. I remember hearing stories of a lady who John Glenn had run the trajectory numbers because he didn't trust those computers. It took several years and the release of Hidden Figures, but I finally found out who that lady was. As an African-American woman in science, she overcame many obstacles during her career. She was a NASA mathematician who worked on numerous NASA missions during the space race. The story I was referring to was her calculating the trajectory needed to get Apollo 
11, to the moon and back. She graduated high school at 14 and college at 18. She was hired in 1952 as a computer. This was back when they didn't have the computers we think of today. For the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, this was the precursor to NASA. She became the first woman to be credited as an author on a research report. When NACA became NASA, her math skills became instrumental in calculating the trajectory for many missions, including the 1961 Mercury mission and John Glenn's Friendship 7 mission. By then, they had started to use the computers we think of today for calculations, but she personally rechecked them all by hand. She was invaluable in the Apollo 11 mission, where she calculated how the lunar lander would sync up with the command module. During the Apollo 13 mission, she provided backup procedures to return the crew to Earth after their craft malfunctioned. After her retirement, she encouraged other women to pursue careers in STEM. She passed away this year at 101. She is the forgotten lady of nuclear physics. Even Albert Einstein called her the German Mary Curie. She has interacted with almost every European scientist from the mid-1900s, lived through two world wars, and no one knows who she is. This is Lee Smeitner. I had to do a report on her for chemistry class, and she did some amazing things. Like many female scientists of the day, she was largely self-taught. She obtained her PhD in physics in 1906 and wrote to our girl Mary Curie to ask her to work in her lab. That would have been the team-up of the ages, even bigger than Avengers. Sadly, there were none available. She asked Max Planck to attend his lectures as he famously did not allow women to sit in. You may know him if you've ever worked with Planck's constant. That's the energy carried by a photon. In Berlin, she joined forces with chemist Otto Hahn. She also worked in the mobile x-ray unit, like Madame Curie in World War I, except she worked on the opposing side. During the 1930s, she was forced to leave Germany as she was an Austrian with Jewish ancestry. She was invited to work with Niels Bohr in the Netherlands. Bohr's Law? Anyone? She was still in contact with her friend Hahn, and he made a peculiar discovery. When he bombarded uranium with a neutron, it seemed barium was a product. Meitner used Einstein's equation, you, you know the one, E equals mc squared, to calculate how much energy was produced. She realized there was enough mass being converted into energy during nuclear fission. She and her nephew published a paper of her findings. In 1944, Hahn alone was awarded the Nobel Prize for nuclear fission, and the scientific community was outraged. He downplayed Meitner's involvement as he was afraid of associating himself with a Jew who left Germany illegally. However, her and Hahn eventually made up because they were friends before this entire mess happened. One title that Meitner hated was the mother of the atomic bomb. Her theory of nuclear fission and the knowledge that many German scientists knew about this theory caused many members of the scientific community to act. In a letter addressed to FDR, they explained what nuclear fission was and that a bunch of German scientists knew about it. And the result was the Manhattan Project. Meitner was asked to work on the project, but she famously said that she would have nothing to do with the bomb. She believed nuclear fission should be used peacefully as an energy source. The next few ladies I've only recently learned about and I wish I heard about them growing up. Tu Yuyu is a Nobel Prize laureate and a pharmacist. Much of her work throughout her career has been about the combination of both Western and traditional Chinese medicine. One of her biggest contributions is her work on anti-malarial drugs. Malaria is a life-threatening epidemic disease that has spread via mosquitoes. The WHO tried to eliminate it worldwide before the emergence of drug-resistant malaria parasites in 1960. 
The Chinese government researchers screened thousands of chemical compounds for anti-malarial properties and were unsuccessful. They decided to turn to traditional Chinese medicine, which has been treating malaria for thousands of years. Starting in 1969, Tu interviewed thousands of traditional practitioners and read Chinese medical literature and folk recipes. She experimented with many extracts of herbs until Qing Hao showed promise at inhibiting some effects of malaria in rodents. As manufacturing was shut down during this time, her team extracted the herbs themselves as well as performed the toxicological tests. They isolated the compound in the herb responsible for the anti-malarial effects, and the compound was later named Artemisian. The Chinese Ministry of Health granted Artemisian a new drug certificate to the Institute of Chinese Materia Medica in 1986 and a new drug certificate to dihydroartemisian in 1992. Tu Yu won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine in 2015. I've mentioned Dorothy Hodgkin in my podcast about penicillin. Just to give you more background on her, she used X-ray crystallography to determine how atoms oriented themselves in space. Besides penicillin, she determined the structures of many other organic chemical compounds. She worked on insulin and vitamin B12, among the most notable. She became a fellow of the British Royal Society in 1947 and eventually won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1964 for her work using X-ray techniques to determine the structure of biologically interesting molecules. And now I'm going to talk about Miss America 2020, Camille Schreier. She's a PharmD student from Virginia Commonwealth University whose platform is about drug education and safety. As a woman in science, you'd never see a scientist as Miss America. It means a lot to me to see a scientist, let alone a pharmacist, with the title. I feel women in science go unnoticed at their talents. But she put it so well. She said, I've had people that don't think that what I do is necessarily a talent. But you know what? Miss America is someone that needs to educate, to be able to communicate with everyone. And that's what I do as a woman of science. We need to show that Miss America can be a scientist and that a scientist can be Miss America. And while others on stage showed off their talents with music and dance, she did a science experiment. When I first saw the headline, I was like, oh my god, Miss America is a lady in STEM like me. And looking back on all the influential people in STEM, she wouldn't have gotten to that point if it wasn't for the women in STEM who fought for their place in the scientific community. That is one of the reasons I wanted to highlight women during Women's History Month. There are so many stories of women who've changed the world that I unfortunately did not hear about growing up. But I'm so grateful that my idols and heroes are real, and that they advocated or rebelled against the norms of society by simply being scientists. I am not a medical professional, so please consult your primary care physician if you're intrigued by anything you heard today. I do all my own research, and my sources are linked in the description. So please give all those scientists your love. The intro music was done by Cooper Wood, and the artwork was done by me. My name is Emma Ives, and thanks for listening to Chill Pill.